our series, um, which we've called Deeply Rooted. Uh, but at its essence, it's a study of the, uh, the spiritual disciplines, the practices and the routines or the exercises or the disciplines uh, that we engage in to grow in our relationship with God. Um, before we get into it, I, while I have all of your attention, I wanted to make one announcement and related to that announcement, um, ask for prayer. Um, as many of you know, for years and years, we have leased our building, um, that beautiful green church building on the back of Cal Anderson, from the United German Church of Christ, an older German-speaking congregation who built that building in 1903 and have occupied it for the last century. Um, anyways, they just recently reached out to us and invited us to make an offer on the building. Um, they have decided uh, that they would like to sell it in the near future and kind of retire their practice as a church. Um, as many of you know, we have uh, been waiting for this to happen. We've even made offers in the past on their building and they've told us they weren't ready to sell. Um, and so we are going to go ahead and put in an offer this week. We've done some, some research. Um, we've spoken with some real estate people. Uh, we've looked at some financing options. Uh, we are going to put in an offer this week, but we as a congregation will take some time. We'll schedule an online meeting in the weeks to come to talk through everything that means for us uh, and what it looks like. Um, our offer includes what's called a feasibility study period, uh, which means we have 60 days to kind of assure that this is what we want to do, uh, that the offer is something we can afford and to come up with the money. So all of that's to come. Right now, I'm just telling you uh, for two reasons. One, to encourage you to join us in expressing our gratitude to God um, as this possibility uh, would be just an amazing win for our church and for our neighborhood. Um, securing our position right in the center of, the, of Capitol Hill, as well as freeing us us up to have that building all to ourselves, which will be of a great advantage to us. Uh, and then second, to bathe just this whole process in prayer. I'd encourage you, uh, even as we talk about daily prayer today, to make this one of the items that you visit daily for the next month or two months or as, as long as it stands because of two reasons. Uh, one, we believe that all good gifts come from God. He is the great provider. Uh, and so even if one of you were to cut a check for the full amount of the building, we would still see that as a work of God in your heart. Uh, and so we want to pray to our provider during this time. Um, and second, because ultimately and finally, because the church is not attached to a building, as we've proven pretty significantly, uh, because the church is made up of a group of people, as we all feel the re reality and the longing of that right now, <clears throat> what we want more than this building is God's will. And so we'd encourage you to join us and pray along with us and just ask that God's will would be done for our church and that he would provide as he sees fit. All right. That's actually a very appropriate announcement this morning because the spiritual discipline we're going to focus on this morning is prayer. And so with that being said, I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians in the New Testament uh, to chapter 4. Uh, Philippians is a thank you letter that Paul wrote 
to the church in Philippi uh, for a financial gift uh, that he had received. And here in chapter 4, he lays out the significance of a regular practice of prayer. Now, as you're turning there, I just want to point out um, that last week's message, this week's message, the whole duration of this series, uh, every message is going to be incredibly simple. We're not going to really unearth any profound truths. In fact, if you really want to grow in your relationship with God, uh, it is not going to be some amazing insight that leads to that growth today. It is going to be the simple practices that we're laying out. And so these messages are intentionally simple uh, because they are focused on just giving you basic tools and understanding, but it's going to be your homework. It's going to be your practicing uh, that leads to growth in these ways. Now, let's go ahead and read the passage together. I want to pick up in verse 5. There's a little bit of a dangling participle in that verse that we're not going to deal with. uh, But the closing sentence uh, in verse 5 is essential for what follows. So read with me verses 5, 6, and 7. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together and we'll get into the text. Father, I know that I speak for all of us in our heart of hearts that we desire to know you more and we desire to grow in our prayer lives. Your word is full of invitations, inviting us into your presence, casting our cares before you before you, because you care for us. The provision you've given us of the Holy Spirit who prays within us and gives us words without utterance when we don't know how to pray. You've invited us, Lord, to think of you as a heavenly father who knows all our needs. God, there's so many reasons for us to pray. So as we look at your instructions this morning, as we look at the good news of what you've made available for us in Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would not just draw us into your presence in prayer once, Lord, but that you would help us to, through commitment and through practice, cultivate a life of prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The thing about prayer is that it is incredibly broad as a topic. In fact, it's very difficult to cover prayer thoroughly in a single sitting, uh, in a single message. Because when we look at what prayer is, there's so many ways to think about it. And so even as a church, just looking over the last few years, we've looked at it in a couple of different ways. We've looked at the Lord's Prayer as a model for prayer. Um, We've looked at prayer as being ultimately about being in God's presence. We've looked at all of the different terms that are used in the family of prayer words, like supplication, which we find here in the text, uh, or adoration, or confession, thanksgiving, which we also find in the text today. Uh, These are all forms of prayer. What I want to focus on today, though, uh, is cultivating a practice of prayer. 
Although prayer is relational by nature, it is communing with God, although it is an act of love and a response to God's love for us, uh, it is not something that can be left to spontaneity. I know that many of us have experienced not feeling like praying, uh, and also many of us have maybe a vague sense or maybe even a strong sense that doesn't seem to lead anywhere of wanting to grow in prayer. And it's as if we're just waiting for something to shift in us and draw us into prayer. But prayer is best understood as an acquired taste. Um, By which I mean not only some people, the eccentric and the weird, like it, but what I mean is it's actually something that you grow in enjoyment of when you practice. In fact, that's built into all the disciplines. The idea of a discipline goes against the idea of spontaneity. If you want to be disciplined, you have to practice. And that means you need to have a plan. You need to have intention, an intention with feet, right? Intention that goes somewhere. You need to have accountability, the support of a community to hold you accountable. And I just want to address up front that sometimes that can feel against the grain of what we're trying to do. It can feel like if we have to put in that type of work, uh, that it somehow hinders the intimacy of what we're trying to do. But I would say that's a misunderstanding. Yes, For those of you who are in loving relationships, whether with your siblings or your parents or your spouse, uh, there is a beauty of just an overflow of love that leads you to just spontaneously buy your mom flowers. Not so spontaneous today, though, is it? Uh, There is uh, a uh, a nature of prayer that should become more than just a pattern. In fact, in another place, Paul calls us to pray without ceasing, to live a life of prayer to continue on uh, to to continuously pray uh, is something that is a lifestyle and not just a daily practice but what I would suggest to you is that it's habits that form intimacy it's intentionally going to your wife every day and saying Hey, tell me about your plans. How are you doing today? It's intentionally calling up a friend and saying, hey, let's go out to dinner. It's something that happens like our home groups or like our Sunday gatherings in a regular rhythm. And so I would suggest to you that prayer leads to depth of prayer life when it's practiced regularly and consistently. With that in mind, let's look at the text again. And notice it starts in verse 5 by saying, let your reasonableness be uh, known to everyone. Now, that's good advice. It's something that matters. It has more to do with what uh, precedes this. But since we're there, let me just remind you that as a church and as Christians, we should be reasonable. It seems appropriate based on the stress levels and the uh, full-grown opinions that we are encountering constantly online, not to mention the disagreement uh, and the conspiracy theories and everything else, that this should be our orientation. Our reasonableness should be known to all people. But I just wanted to say that and move along just in case that was a word from the Lord for any of us today. But notice that the end of verse 5 here, the Lord is at hand, is really the beginning of the next thought. 
the Lord is at hand, and I don't know about your translation, but if you look at the punctuation there, following that, before verse 6, in my passage is a semicolon. The Lord is at hand, therefore, the Lord is in hand, and so do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It is the nearness of God that should draw us into prayer. Now, just there, it helps us to deal with two misunderstandings that we can often have about prayer. The first is, prayer doesn't draw God near. Prayer isn't necessary so that we would be close to God. Now, granted, prayer leads to an experience of how close God is. But Jesus is already near. You are already the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because of your belief in Jesus, you were already in relationship with God, adopted into his family. He is your heavenly father who cares, who sees, who hears, who is, as it says in this text, at hand. Jesus is very near. As it says in Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is present in our life, and that is the primary incentive to prayer. The idea here is that because God is present, it changes the math on the situations and circumstances in our life. Right? Erase God from the picture and look at your life Put up all the variables, the stressors and the difficulties, the problems and the distance and this broken relationship and this question about what to do about work and this problem that you're facing. And life is a balance of pros and cons, highs and lows, goods and bads. But if God is present, if God is near and not just some generic, all-powerful spiritual force, but the God of the Bible, the Father of Jesus Christ, who sent Jesus, as Pastor Andy pointed out this morning, to satisfy the need for justice and lovingly provide a way back to him. If he is near in your life, it changes things. In fact, Paul's first point is because of that, we should not be anxious about anything. Now, the word here, anxious, or that concept of anxiety, is a broad one. There's a lot of things that we could think of when we think of here anxiety or anxiousness. In fact, if you have an older translation, if you look at the King James, it says, don't be concerned about anything. Now, probably for you, like for me, the difference between anxious about and concerned about is, is already kind of broad. Concern to me says, this is something I care about. Anxious says, this is something I'm wringing my hands about. But they're both actually semantically in the same realm. In fact, even in this letter, Paul commends one of the friends of the Philippian church for his concern for the Philippians. He says, he's the only one who has concern for you like I do. And it's the same word here. He's the only one who's anxious for you like I am. Okay, Being concerned about something at its most basic level just means to have interest in. Okay, Now, on the other hand, we have what we would call worry. And the Bible constantly calls us not to worry. Okay, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, 
just as the flowers are beautifully adorned and the birds are provided for by their heavenly father, don't be anxious. Same word here. And then in the modern world, we also think of anxiety as a diagnosis, right? There is a certain level of anxiety that can be caused uh, by a psychological reaction and deficiency uh, that needs to be dealt with with the sake of counseling and maybe even medicinally. Okay? So when we hear this, do not be anxious about anything, we should be careful with this language. Paul's idea here is not that if you are dealing with panic attacks, you are in sin and need to repent. But he is saying here that when we experience concern or even anxiety or even panic attacks, that we shouldn't operate as if we are alone and be left in that place. No matter how or where you are on the metric there of concern, basic interest in, to anxiety, you shouldn't just stay there. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't just stay in that place of anxiety. One of the places that I've observed in my life, and as I've talked with other people, where we start to cross the threshold into worry, for example, from concern, uh, is a sense of isolation or single responsibility right? There's a difference between having an interest in something uh, like, um, like the hunger crisis worldwide and the anxiety that feels like if I don't do my part, this cannot be fixed, right? There's an isolating that comes. The higher our anxiety is, the deeper our concern, the more we feel the responsibility on our own shoulders. But if the Lord is near, then you are never alone. You're never left to being the fulcrum of success or failure. You're never left to being the savior of your friends or your family. You're never left to being the the one thing that will determine good or bad, right or wrong, uh, you know, saved or unsaved. You are not alone. And notice the balance of this sentence. He says, don't be anxious about anything but in everything, make your requests be made known to God. Okay? And so the first one, don't be anxious about anything. There's not anything in your life on that whole gamut of concern that you should just leave there and leave God out of. And so in contrast, that means that everything is appropriate to bring before God. There is no problem too big because it's just your responsibility, nor is there no concern too small that it's not worth God's time. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, by your request, make it known to God. Now there's an interesting concept here because the fact that the Lord is near, as I mentioned earlier, means that the Lord knows. So why is it that we need to make our request known to God at all? You see, this is another mistake we can make. Sometimes we pray in a way as if God doesn't already know. Other times we don't pray at all because we know that God uh, already knows. But the reason here we should be incentivized by the nearness of God The reason why Paul says we should make our requests known to God is because he is near, is because he knows. As Jesus says, your heavenly father already knows of your needs before you ask. Therefore, ask. 
God has designed our life in such a way that he desires our participation. Have you ever thought about that? God is all-powerful. He is self-sufficient. He didn't create human beings because he needed people. He didn't save you because he needed workers in the harvest. He doesn't invite us into relationship because we bring him something. It's just a natural overflow of his love. In other words, God wants you to pray not because he needs to know your wish list, but because he wants to be with you. And he wants to invite you into the process of all of the good things he has, not just in your life, but in the lives around you. God's primary desire is to be with you. Read the Gospel of John. Read John 17. Read the end of John's uh, apocalypse, the book of Revelation. Where is this all heading? Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so that you might be where I am. God's heart is that you would be with him, that he would be with you. And when we do this in prayer, we establish relationship. I don't even have to um, do more than just evoke the idea behind Band of Brothers, right? Whether the concept or the miniseries, to know that going through something with somebody is a soul-stitching reality. That's how God wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be in the trenches with you. And so the idea here is that we should pray about all things because we want to invite God into our lives to act and to do. There is no greater expression of faith than prayer. Prayer says God really is near. Prayer says God really does care. Prayer says God really is capable of making a difference. When people say prayer changes things, that's just because Jesus changes things. It's as simple as that. There's no power in prayer except for the fact that prayer is a conduit that invites God, like Jesus did in the garden, and says, Thy will be done. It invites God to be a participant in our life. We are going to see every week that spiritual disciplines are ultimately rooted in what we learned just after Easter at the end of the Gospel of Mark, that we are not just honoring the death of a great saint in Jesus, but we are inviting a living Jesus into our life. Prayer is the way that we do that. Let me read this to you again. He says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Again, I want to suggest to you that this opens the possibilities, the categories, and the topics of prayer wide open. Whatever you are interested in, whatever you are concerned about, concerned about whatever makes you anxious, whatever brings on your deepest anxieties, whatever your greatest fears are, the whole range of it is open to prayer. Now, because of that, Tying that to a regular practice of prayer can feel overwhelming. It's funny, isn't it, that we can know that this is true and we can sit down to prayer and exhaust the list of things we think we need to pray about, right? But it's also, I think, true that many of us actually avoid deeper prayer because we just feel like we don't know where to begin. What is it we're supposed to be praying about? Here we have a blank check in prayer. 
Jesus says the same thing. He says, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. Now, in my name matters. Thy will be done, not my will be done matters. But it doesn't change the broadness of Jesus' invitation into prayer. But I also think this idea of things that we are anxious about provides a good window of where to start. And I would like to suggest uh, a couple of different ways to think of this. Okay, The first is things you're worried about. Worry is a sin only in the sense that if you leave it there and you just push it inside your brain and you just wring your hands about it and it leads to the, uh, the fruit because anything you do in your life, any behavior leads to an outcome. And it leads to the outcome of that inward-focused selfishness, whether it cripples you in fear or, or turns you into, you know, a controlling or manipulative or self-saving, uh, you know, uh, either way that it goes in worry, worry gets a hold of our heart and it bears fruit in our lives. It's only sinful if we leave it there. But experiencing worry uh, is something that we need to just cultivate the practice of taking those things and returning them to the Lord, taking them before the Lord. Being worried is, to me, uh, the difference between crying and crying out, right? When we look in the Old Testament, we can find people who cried about their circumstances and those who cried out. The pain is the same. The circumstances might be the same, but one has taken those circumstances and laid them bare before the Lord. And read the Psalms. They do it in intense and real ways. They don't clean up their act first. They don't put on their makeup. They, you know, ugly cry right before the Lord and say, here's how I'm really feeling. Where are you, God? What's going on? That's all appropriate. Every one of those Psalms, no matter how dark they are, is a vital expression of faith. It holds God against his character and says, I know who you really are. It invites God to show himself, to reveal himself, to prove himself, to be who he says he is. That's the definition of faith. And so one of the things that should be on your weekly prayer list are the things that worry you. Maybe you're concerned about um, making ends meet. Maybe you're concerned about a tremendously difficult relationship you have with a friend or a family, uh, family member or a coworker. Maybe there's an issue that's super broad and big, you know, geopolitical poli- politics level, and you find it constantly driving anxiety in your heart. Those are all good candidates for regular and consistent prayer list items. But I'd like to point out another one. This area of concern often touches, not always, but often touches on our area of responsibility. So the second category I'd like you to think about this morning is vocation. The idea of vocation is that God, in the way he's designed your life, through your relationships, uh, through your gender, through who he's made you to be in your gifts and talents, through your current circumstances, okay? As G.K. Chesterton says, uh, God chooses your neighbors, right? That's a gift. You, you don't get to choose who you live next to. God also chooses your family. You don't get to choose who your mother and father, your brother and sister are. Those are all elements of your vocation. Paul talks about the fact in 1 Corinthians 7 that a husband has anxiety, same word here, for his wife. Or a wife has anxiety for her husband. That's not inappropriate. 
That's natural. It's responsibility. And so your life has those same places, those areas of vocation. Who your family members are, your role you play in the family, the role that you have at work, the role that you have in church, the role that you have in your neighborhood, your participation in our city, state, and nation as a citizen. Those are all things that are part of your vocation. And again, that makes them appropriate places for focusing in prayer. If you are a boss, if you are a husband, if you are a parent, praying for those who are under your care should be a regular and routine part of your life. If you are subject to authority like we are as citizens, Paul says that we should pray for those in power. Pray for those who have authority over us, okay? And so some of your prayer list should be designed by the things that you worry about. Some of it by the things that you are concerned about because they're your responsibility. And I want to add one more here, which is areas of interest or passion. There are many, many things we could pray about in life. There are many, many places where we could direct our finances. There are many places where we could join the work of what God is doing in building the kingdom that really resonate with us. Okay. And so maybe it's going to be issues of social justice. Maybe it's going to be issues of evangelism. Maybe it's going to be about the multi-ethnic church. Maybe it's going to be about reconciliation. Maybe it's going to be about biblical counseling or a growing in the disciplines. We all have these passions, these places where God has brought life into our life. And as a response to that, we want to see that life cultivated in other places. The truth is we don't all have the same perspective. Have you ever shared something that keeps you up at night and another person seems completely unfazed by it? That's fine. That's a normal part of being human. But I would suggest to you that those areas of passion, those areas of focus, the place that draws your attention, where you, uh, you know, check your news feed, where you send your money, those are all places that you should cultivate regular and habitual prayer in. Okay. So I'd like to suggest to you just the simplest of models of how to do this. Uh, and I would have drawn you a prop this morning, uh, but add this screen to my inability to draw. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you can imagine this better than I can draw it. All I want you to think of is just a piece of paper with six lines on it that divides it into seven sections. Okay. And across the top of this piece of paper are the days of the week. And then from these three categories that we've talked about, things that you are currently worried, concerned, or anxious about. Things that are your current area of responsibility, especially ones where you feel like you need wisdom or growth in. If you feel like you're struggling to be a good citizen, or if you feel like you're struggling in your marriage to be a good spouse, or if you feel like God has given you this responsibility in your neighborhood and you don't even know any of your neighbor's names, whichever one is the most pressing, okay? And then also areas of passion. If you're worried about, you know, the, the, the martyred church, those who are dying right now in our times for Jesus's name, if you're interested in supporting world missions and you know that, you know, the, um, 
the 1080 window is the least evangelized pot spot on the globe. Pick a nation and put it right on the list. What I want you to do is from these ideas, take the top seven and just list them right across your paper. And every Monday you pray for this one. Every Tuesday you pray for this one. And then what I would suggest is put this on a whole paper because when something becomes greater priority or when God answers your prayers, I just want you to scratch off that one and write a new one underneath. And you can just live with this piece of paper and um, commit yourself to praying daily and weekly moving through these prayer priorities and do it in a really simple way. Science has shown that the best way to bring about change is micro-commitments, okay? What goes wrong with New Year's resolutions every year? They're too big. We say, I'm going to lose 150 pounds this year, right? We say, I'm going to win a gold medal in a triathlon, right? All I'm suggesting to you is five minutes, five minutes every morning on your commute, Right? I'm suggesting to you uh, 10 minutes before you go to bed, you just pull out that list and you just pray for this one thing. I'm suggesting you take the Bible meditation that we talked about yesterday, which naturally leads into prayer. And before you get up off your knees or off the couch, it doesn't matter. Before you get up from that time, just take five minutes and lift up today's prayer request. Okay. Do you see how simple this is? It's such a simple practice, and it doesn't cover all the possibilities because you can't. If you were to pray about all things, then you would literally be on your knees all day long, and there'd be nothing to really pray about because you'd never do anything. So what I'm suggesting to you is take the places where you feel either God's presence and working, or the places where you feel the deepest need for the Lord right now, Just invite him into those and don't scratch them off your prayer request sheet until it changes. One of the greatest heroes in the history of prayer was George Mueller. George Mueller had a orphanage in London and he was committed to God as his provider. And he provided for dozens among dozens of children their square meals every day for the duration of his life entirely on prayer. And to be honest, when you read the stories of what happens in his life, one of two things will happen. You will either say there's no way these stories are possible or you will realize that God answers prayers. But What I wanted to point out is that George Mueller made a regular habit of praying that people he knew would come to know Jesus. And two of his friends from his early 20s, he prayed for every day of his entire life until he died. We know this because we have his journals as well as his prayer log. We know that he prayed for these two men daily and for the entirety of his life, they never became Christians until his funeral in which they both gave their lives to the Lord. Don't scratch things off your prayer list until either your heart changes and God says, you shouldn't care about that so much. It's not that I want to do that work. I have a different work I want to do in you. Don't stop praying until your heart changes or your circumstances change. Don't stop praying until you see God starting to move. Okay. That's what Jesus tells us. He says, keep knocking, keep asking, Keep seeking. And so in other words, what I'm saying is pray until you get an answer, which is different than pray until you get the answer you want. Okay. But what I would suggest to you is just this simple practice of making a list. 
just a short one, seven items, one per day, drawing it from this area and committing yourself to just take five to 10 minutes to focus on these items will change things, but it will also change you. I want you to notice what Paul says when we do this. Look at verse seven. He says, when you pray this way, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does it mean here when it says that the peace of God surpasses all understanding? Now, my general way of reading this is that when God brings peace, it's not because he brings answers. Right. And I think I think probably some of you have experienced that. I remember uh, when Logan was being born and they ended up ended up performing a crash cesarean on my wife. So she was rushed out of the room and down to the OR and I was literally left alone, not knowing if my child or my wife would survive. It was scary. And I, I didn't drop to my knees. I fell to my knees. I just collapsed and I began to beg the Lord to be present in this and to work. And then suddenly my heart was settled to the degree that they sent in a social worker to check on me and I sent her away. I said, I really appreciate you coming, but I don't need you anymore, right? That may be what this means and that is something that is going on here. Uh, no doubt the peace of God that I experienced is this peace of God, but it's not that it surpasses understanding in the sense of, I don't know where that peace came from. I'm very confident where that peace came from. The idea here is if you have two choices, to understand or to pray, one of them leads to peace. We think if we had the answers, we would find peace. But behind every answer is a deeper question. By, behind every answer is a deeper weight. And then there's just the question of if we found the right answer. What's more important for our sense of peace than knowing the what is remembering the who. By inviting God into our lives, by cultivating a life of prayer and surrendering our needs and our concerns to him, we remember that God doesn't just have peace to give us. It is his peace because God is a God of peace. God is not worried. He is not anxious. He does not have panic attacks. He doesn't not know how things are going to go. He isn't, uh, you know, questioning if he's big enough for the job. He's at peace. He wants to give you that same peace, not by injecting it into your soul through some sort of spiritual uh, surgery, but by being that present in your life, that you have just fully entrusted everything in your life to the God who is worthy of that trust. That's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And notice what it does. It guards both your hearts and your minds. Your hearts and your minds. Your heart, that's the place the center. That's where we install idols. That's where we start to turn to other things to satisfy us. That's where we escape from our troubles by drinking too much or ordering too much Uber Eats uh, or escaping into, you know, a digital video game or whatever it is. It's also the place where we turn to other things and we say, this will solve my problems. And we obsess over our career and we put our children on the altar of it. Or we throw out our relationships or our character and we say, well, the only way I'm going to get this done is to lie. We lie when we don't have peace. We fight our own battles when we don't have peace. And the heart is one of those places, but also the mind. The mind is the plan factory. It's the place where we escape to when things need to change. It's exhausting. 
and it's not always beneficial. And take this from an Enneagram 5 who spends my entire day thinking about my plans, who makes a list mentally of the things I need to do and gets great satisfaction out of it. But I also know what a trap it can be. I also know that sometimes I can't sleep because I can't turn my mind off. This is what it's talking about when it says the peace of God will guard your mind. This is why prayer is important. It's not because we have to convince God to do what we want him to do. It's because prayer cultivates faith. This is what Hebrews seems to mean when it says that the definition of faith is believing in things not seen. It means that we've brought before prayer and we've learned that whether we get our way or not, whether things change or not, we're reminded of who is at the helm. His love for us, his concern for us, his great and precious plan for us. When we read here, the Lord is at hand, I think it probably does mean he's right here, he's near, but it also can possibly mean the Lord is coming. It's a reminder of the fact that as Christians, we already know the end of the story. And whatever you're facing today may be a chapter, but it doesn't get the final say in the meaning of your life. Let's pray. Father, again, I want to just affirm that your invitation to prayer is on our behalf it's good and it's beautiful, and we don't always appreciate it. Lord, I ask that you would help us in our practice. We want to just confess that, that even growing in our prayer life is not something we can do on our own. And so one of the areas of concern, one of our areas of anxiety that we can bring before you faithfully is this one. God, teach us to pray. Father, help us to develop this simple plan in a way that begins to work the muscles of our prayer life. Put people around us who will ask how our prayer life is going, who will ask if we can pray together, who will check in and ask for prayer for themselves, who will have the boldness to say, hey, if you're keeping a prayer list, will you add me to it? I pray, Lord, that you would just be at work in our church. And whatever items head our list, Lord, give us eyes to see. We didn't talk about Thanksgiving this morning because we're going to handle it all on its own in a future week. But Thanksgiving is basically just the response to answered prayer. It's the recognition in this passage that God is at work. And so when we scratch things off our list, help us to do it with Thanksgiving. Give us eyes to see the God who answers prayer as he answers them. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the fact that you are near. We want to invite you into every recess, every cul-de-sac, every room and compartment of our life. I pray, Lord, that there would be no circumstance, no area of concern, no problem, no worry or fear, that we wouldn't give you the keys to, that we wouldn't invite you into, that we wouldn't ask for your help and your presence and your work in. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.